tonight on Arena. Thaddeus O'Sullivan on his new star-studded film, The Miracle Club, and Sean Hewitt on his anthology, 300,000 Kisses. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. The Miracle Club is a brand new Irish movie starring Oscar-winning actors Maggie Smith and Kathy Bates and Oscar-nominated actors Laura Linney and Stephen Ray. It's about a group of women in 1960s Dublin who dream of visiting Lourdes, but just as they get close to heading off, their lives are disrupted by the arrival of Chrissia Hearn, who abruptly left their tight-knit community for Boston some 40 years previously. The film is directed by a veteran Irish director, Thaddeus O'Sullivan, and delighted to be joined by Thaddeus on the line this evening. I suppose, Thaddeus, you have to say, the first miracle here is, in fact, that you, you got this film made eventually. It's been hanging around and, and, and in your mind, I think, for some for quite a long time, 20 years or thereabouts. <laughs> uh, it is a miracle. Um, uh, however, I wasn't involved for all that time. Mm. Um um, 2006, uh, HBO approached me, and um, it um, fell through around about that time. So, I wasn't involved until a couple of years ago, um, when one of the writers uh, um, on it, Tim Prager, was um, was uh, attached as somebody that I had worked with on a couple of BBC projects. So, um, between himself and Joshua Moore, uh, the producer, um, I got invited back on. Yeah, and and uh, so we started to develop it again um, and brought in uh, Laura McKenzie, another writer, and uh, and Jimmy Smallhorn came back to do a pass. And uh, so we got it together and and then Laura Linney came on board. What a cast you managed to get on board. I mean, Laura Linney was, uh, from what you're saying there, it seems to have been the first one. Who is Chrissy Ahern, who's this uh, woman who has moved away from the tight-knit community but is coming back 40 years later. And we know when somebody comes back, there's going to be a look back at the past and things that went on. But add to Laura Linney, Cathy Bates, Maggie Smith, Niall Buggy, Stephen Ray, Agnes O'Casey, who, by the way, is the granddaughter of the great Sean O'Casey, and Mark yeah. O'Halloran is in there. I mean, I could just keep reading the cast list. It's a phenomenal cast that you put together for this, Thaddeus. It's phenomenal. Uh, and um, uh, the, the danger always with casting stars uh, like this, that there would be... There would be a bit of miscasting going on um, because after all it's actors of this caliber who attract the money but um, hand on heart I can say that everybody is is brilliantly cast mm-hmm. um, uh, especially our three stars they just uh, fell into these parts they they wouldn't have committed to, uh, to the film unless they really felt um, good about the, the, the character they were playing and uh, and they they are it it's just hand in glove. Um, they they all slotted in beautifully, and it really does depend on it. It's ensemble playing at its at its is is really what's asked for here. Laura Linney, as I say, this returned uh, member of the community. She's a cousin, if I've got the relationships right, of yeah. the the Kathy Bates character. They were very friendly uh, growing up together, and very friendly with a young man called Daniel Fox, who was the son of. Maggie Smith's character. So we can see that this was a, a really tight-knit community and something happened back then that everybody needs to face, which is in some ways what the film was about. 
How important was that yeah. community aspect of the story and where you shot out in Booterstown, beautiful little location which has a real sense of community, that little square, many people will know it opposite the Blackrock Clinic. Yeah. No, uh, uh, and it was um, uh, choosing that location was what was going to make or break the film, if that doesn't sound too exaggerated, because they, uh, we had to express the idea of the community simply and visually. Uh, and I also needed uh, to have the sea close by, because that is a, a strong mm. uh, element in the story. And uh, I needed to have that as a presence uh, to their lives. Um, uh, the, the, I mean, the whole idea of the community is uh, has to be uh, uh, had to be set up because uh, to be banished, as the Laura Linick uh, character uh, puts it, to be banished from that community has uh, it carries a lot of weight. Uh, in this case, uh, uh, shame and anger and mm. um, uh, and so on. So there had to be something that she is banished from for for her to have that hurt. Um, and uh, so the community was important. Yeah, yeah it, it really struck me that that sense of community is, is central to the entire story itself. But also we're in 1967 in, in Dublin and that's important, the, the period of time. And the pilgrimages to Lourdes, which went from practically every parish in Ireland at certain yeah. points along the way, very much of that era, the late 60s and into the 70s as well. Have you any memory of these um, lured pilgrimages yourself, uh, Thaddeus? Uh, my my mother and father uh, and my aunt uh, went on a, a, a pilgrimage to Lourdes that was very important to them because of uh, um, an event that uh, took place in our family. And uh, I remember that very well. And my mo- my mother spoke about it in, in the... In the quite complex terms uh, uh, throughout my life and um, but I had never been however Tim Prager who was one of our writers he'd been a number of times and of course Jimmy Smallhorn had been there as well but uh, uh, Tim Prager had gone there for personal reasons five or six times mm. uh, during the course of his life and uh, he had very strong feelings about what Lourdes can mean to you uh, mean to Almost anyone who goes there can have very specific reactions that aren't necessarily to do with their faith, but quite often uh, to do with the sheer, uh, to to be in the presence of people who have such powerful faith, uh, people are affected by that. Mm. And uh, so we talked about that quite a lot, that our characters, even if, uh, I mean, the Maggie Smith character, um, she has a, uh, a certain amount of, why scepticism? Uh, she's not not that um, not that religious, mm. I, I would say. But the sheer the sheer um, effect of being uh, in that atmosphere uh, makes people uh, and you leave your past behind. You know, it's like yeah. a road movie. You you leave your home, you leave your, leave your kids, you leave your husband, you leave it all behind, and you're in another place. And you're, you're, there, there's a there's an expectation that something will happen, but but we, they don't know what that is in a sense, and that is what is that yeah. sort of uh, gap then is filled with a kind of spiritual uh, uh, um, effect, which ref- makes them reflect, and that that's the whole point of the third act of the film. 
Yeah, well, let's let's have a listen to a, a clip when they're in Lourdes, in fact. Um, it, and, the, and the they in question here is the character of Lily, the Maggie Smith character is there, the character of Eileen, played by Cathy Bates. And there's also a younger character here as well. We'll come back to uh, the character of Dolly, played by Agnes O'Casey, the granddaughter of the great Sean O'Casey. So here they are, awaiting their turn to take a bath uh, in the holy water at Lourdes. Everyone set, everyone ready. Well, here we go. This is what we came for. Now, be strong. Whatever you might say, the heartbreak of the world is upon us. Is that someone dying? It's the water. I say it's bitter cold. Jesus. They're not stepping in the same water as us, are they? Oh, of course they are. But that's a bit much. Help catching infections. Oh, no, you won't catch a thing. This is Lourdes. It's another miracle. Our lady told everyone to come and bathe in the mir- miraculous water. That's the man. It's a miracle he's after walking. And there we go. <laughs> Lily, Eileen and Dolly, Maggie Smith, Kathy Bates and Agnes O'Casey in that scene. When they think a miracle has happened in the baths at Lourdes, what happens can be found out when you go and see the film yeah. in, in, in in that particular respect. But um, one of the things that struck me, we, we've talked about the star-studded cast, Thaddeus, Laura Linney, Kathy Bates, Maggie Smith, Niall Buggy, Stephen Ray, and even there's a voice of Brenda Fricker in there as well, which Brenda is just Fricker, yeah. absolutely beautiful to, to hear her voice in the, in the midst of it all as well. Like, these are seriously experienced actors. And then into that comes the character of Dolly, who we heard in that clip, played by Agnes Agnes O'Casey and she's there with her little son who who hasn't spoken and he's about what is he about four or five at this stage and he hasn't uttered a word and she's looking for her own miracle by by bringing him there I'm guessing that when it came to those experienced actors it's it's a matter of turning on the camera and letting them do what they do that was a difficult <laughs> that was a difficult role a difficult place for Agnes O'Casey who's an established actor and a talented actor no question about it but to be in among those heavyweights can't have been easy. Yeah, I, 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 she was, um, from the, the get-go, she was uh, a very, very well-grounded. And um, uh, I, I think uh, she was very uh, clear about her character and, uh, you know, her, her place in the, in the group. Um, nevertheless, uh, I, I did think she'd be a bit more, um, a bit more anxious. Um, and, of course, our stars were... Uh, were very very good at um, mm. uh, making her uh, feel relaxed and uh, concerned that 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 she was uh, comfortable, um, and particularly Laura Linney, who um, likes to look after people around her. She pays a lot of attention to what's going on, um, um, uh, to the crew and to, and to everybody's moods, uh, and she, she's uh, brilliant like that. So so she would have, um, I'm sure. 
uh, been responsible for uh, making Aggie feel very comfortable. Yeah. I, sure. I, and I don't want to give too much away in terms of locations yeah. here. Um, but the lured aspect of things, uh, you're very clever in the way you present that to us on screen. How much of that do you want to tell us? I Well, uh, because I've so enjoyed people's response to it. Um, I have to say, I, normally I'd be very... Um, um, easy about uh, describing, uh, you know, uh, mm. the technical achievements and, and all that, how clever we were. But I think in this case, I might just let people find out for Absolutely. themselves. Absolutely, yeah, because I have to say, it's, it's just wonderful. I was there and that's enough for me. And I'm sure lots of people <laughs> will feel the same thing too. But there is, a, I mean, there's a, undoubtedly a real sense of community and a feel-good aspect uh, to the film and facing things of the past. But one of the things that really struck me that's touched on it, particularly among um, the Laura Linney, Kathy Bates and Maggie Smith character, is the type of shame that there was uh particularly yeah. around women and women's sexuality and childbearing and difficulties with uh, uh, unwanted pregnancies. The shame around that is one of the more serious sides of this film. Yes, and, uh, you know, some people are, are, are surprised, I think, at the, um, at the emotional um, 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 element in the story. Uh, you know, in that period, and we're talking now, the film is set in the 70s, but we're talking about mm. 40 years earlier, um, uh, just at the start of the establishment of the mother and baby homes. You know, she was... Uh, she was... The character would have uh, had to go away to have her child. This is and the Laura uh, Linney character. We, we found out yes. that she was pregnant and she, you know, there's a problem with that for yeah. many in the community. Yeah, and there is absolutely no way that she would be allowed to to um, for people to be aware of her having the child. She had to go away and have it, and she 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 made her own decision and um, and decided. Well, I won't say exactly what mm, she decides, mm. but but uh, but the shame is not something that she's prepared to face, uh, and um, and she disassociates herself uh, from from the community, and um, instead of being. Uh, the whole thing being brushed under the carpet, she decides to deal with it herself. Yeah. Uh, and and the Maggie Smith is the is the the grandmother of, of this potential child that that Laura Linney's yes. character would have been having. So there's there's a moment that comes when Laura Linney's character Chrissy Ahern must confront Lily Fox, played by Maggie Smith, and let's have a listen to a bit of that scene. Yeah, she'll ruin your life. What? Isn't that what you said to Declan? She'll ruin your life? Not now, Chrissy. I was 17. I was pregnant. We were so happy. We were so... How was I going to ruin his life? I thought you were trying to trap him. He was my son, my only son. I wanted him to have a better life than I had. We would have. But how did you manage it? How did you convince her to shut me out? Your mother did her best. But with your father dead, there was no one to reel you in. There was no talking to you. You were wild. 
Your mother forgave me. God punished me, didn't he? Taking them away like that. He punished all of us. And there we go, Laura Linney and uh, Maggie Smith in a scene from the Miracle Club. Director Thaddeus O'Sullivan with me on, on the programme this evening. And it gives a sense of just the, the depth of emotion that, that had to be explored in other parts of it. It's a fine balance that you had to strike that, Thaddeus, between the it's kind of... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, um, well, I don't know if this is what you're going to... Sorry to interrupt. Uh, the, the the balance that obsessed me was uh, was between the um the emotion and the comedy and mm. um and um uh yes i know that um people like a comedy uh um as a sort of relief to tension uh, and um it does uh, of course work like that but it was just something that really really concerned me um uh, because you know how, how do you really how do you uh, create laughter in in the midst of um um this sort of inherited tragedy that mm. they're talking about uh and and uh, it's it's a difficult balance but uh, i hope we pull it off yeah well it was precisely what i was going to talk to you about was how how fine a line it is that that line between the emotional life of the film and the comic life yeah. of the film but you have to have both there or the film it's, doesn't doesn't exist no um uh, it, it's and also uh the comedy is a uh, very particular um uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's uh, ear for uh, Dublin yeah. street life is uh, is terrific. So yeah. it's very distinctive uh, the comedy, and you can tell when all Irish audiences see it, they see things in it that other. It's been released in America as well, so I've attended a lot of screenings there, and the audi- Irish audiences are picking up. Uh, just another layer altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, great to speak with you this evening, Thaddeus, um, um, and thanks for being with us here in Arena. All right, take care. That's Thaddeus O'Sullivan, director of the Miracle Club, starring, as you've heard, Maggie Smith, Laura Linney, Kathy Bates, and a host of others in there as well. It goes on general release this Friday. Sean Hewitt is a poet, writer and literary critic based in Dublin. He's probably best known for his memoir All Down Darkness Wide, which came out last year. 300,000 Kisses, Tales of Queer Love from the Ancient World is a new collection of 40 love stories, poems, songs and spells, all translated by Sean Hewitt and illustrated by Edward Luke Hall. It is, to say the very least, a beautiful treasure trove of pieces from writers you may have heard of, like Homer and Cicero, others you may not. And the downright anonymous, uh, a heartbreaking graffiti found in Pompeii. Delighted to have Sean Hewitt join us on the line right now. And let's start with that graffiti in, in Pompeii. It's an extraordinary piece of writing. And just to think of... of Somebody in that situation, presumably in and around the time of the the uh, the, the, the volcanic eruption, making sure their thoughts were recorded on a wall. Yeah, um, it's really good to be on the show, Sean. Um, this is a poem that is currently on a piece of plaster work in Naples in the archaeological museum there. And it is, I think, the uh, only surviving Latin poem from the period addressed from a woman speaker to another woman. So we're very lucky to have it. Um, and it's it's an amazing little poem uh, and just very moving, I think, to think of someone uh, scratching it. 
uh, right. into the plasterwork of a wall. Will you read the poem for us? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so I've just called it Lament Graffiti. Um, and it goes like this. Oh, if only I could hold your arms around my neck and press a thousand kisses to your tender lips. But go, little doll, throw your happiness to the breeze. Trust me, men are fickle things. Often I find myself awake in the middle of the night, lost somehow in thought, seeing all the people fortune has lifted up. She throws them down eventually, her little dolls. See, even now Venus has joined the bodies of lovers, but then the daylight comes and prizes them apart. And that's Sean Hewitt reading one of the pieces from the anthology. He has recently published 300,000 Kisses, Tales of Queer Love from the Ancient World. Really, now, you translated these pieces yourself, Sean, and maybe I'm picking up on the word fickle here. Um, I, I don't know whether <laughs> La Donna Mobile, of course, the great Verdi aria, Woman is Fickle, is, is how that translates. And it's often, you know, a kind of a theme that's thrown around in comic opera and in various portrayals, even across Shakespeare, I suppose. Um, you know, and and some of the great classic plays. The fact that this is written by a woman back in, at the time of Pompeii, how how carefully had did you choose that word fickle? Or if I put something in there that's non-existent? <laughs> um, no, I mean, um, I, I wanted to keep these these poems uh, feeling immediate for for the modern reader. Uh, so I was, of course, careful with choosing things with modern resonances and, and allowing people in uh, to these quite different worlds, really, giving them ways to understand them. So uh, in my translations, I've kept them as simple and as accessible as I can, uh, whilst also trying to keep the, the voice of the original. But uh, I think, you know, my idea here and, and Luke certainly in making the drawings was to make uh, the ancient world feel mm. immediate and, and, and vivid uh, to a modern reader. Yeah, well, that, that men are fickle line certainly <laughs> jumped out at me <laughs> in, in, in that respect, I must say. You've mentioned, um, Luke, there, um, your, your illustrator. Uh, it's the, the illustrations in the book, uh, Luke, uh, Edward, Luke Hall, just beautiful uh, illustrations right across. How did that uh, collaboration come to be part of the publication, Sean? Uh, well, we both kind of joined together and it was a really interesting book to work on. Luke is uh, an interior designer and he also does ceramics and, and these watercolours that are just, uh, you know, all the way throughout the book. But um, one of the things that was really interesting about working on this book was that I would make the translations and then immediately Luke uh, would, would paint uh, in response to them. So we built the book as we went. So it was a really organic process. It went over about two years. Uh, and some of Luke's kind of rich colours and, and, and lines then kind of fed into the imagery I wanted to uh, to keep in the poem. So I, um, I kind of looked to his images uh, for, for guidance as well uh, as we went through. Um, and the collaboration came about through um, an editor at Penguin Books was in contact with the two of us um, he had had this idea, Richard Atkinson, for uh, making a new kind of accessible uh, work of, mm. of translation from from the ancients. Uh, yeah, because usually, you know, some of these stories are well known, as you said, uh, others much less so, like that poem from Pompeii. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that kind of links them together is that they are very difficult for the uh, general reader to get hold of some of them. You know, they might be in academic editions or in journal articles and things like that. Uh, we wanted to bring them all together in one 
in one place. Maybe you'd um, read the poem, the Catalyst poem, that in fact gives the anthology, it's from this poem that the title comes. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the illustration afterwards because I think what is in the poem is perfectly reflected in the illustration and vice versa. Yeah. So maybe we'd hear a field of kisses from Catalyst. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is uh, my version of uh, Catullus uh, 48. Uh, that's his poem. Steeped in honey, Juventus, and your golden eyes, and a sweet too when I press my lips to them. 300,000 kisses is not close to enough. Even if I plucked each kiss like an amber grain from a ripe, sun-warmed field in late summer, sheaves and sheaves of them, my love, it would not be enough. And that's Sean Hewitt reading Catalyst 48, his own translation of that poem, which is part of 300,000 Kisses, the line that you heard in the midst of the poem uh, from that uh, anthology, 300,000 Kisses. And Sean, I mentioned Luke Edward uh, Hall's illustrations directly across the page from that. All of that ripe, sun-warmed feel, golden eyes, all of that reflected in the wonderful colours he has in the in the bust that's occurs just a head and shoulders uh, drawing across the page from that. It really struck me, am I right in thinking that in fact probably the translation and the, in this particular case, the illustration really developed hand in hand? Yeah, that is exactly how it worked. You know, usually I've written poems before, as you know, uh, but those were all kind of solitary activities, whereas this was really collaborative because of the way that the book is made full of illustrations. Uh, the piece, the, the written parts had to be written uh, and then illustrated around as we went piecemeal. So uh, it meant that there was that opportunity to create a real conversation between mm. uh, the images in the poems and then, as you said, Luke's uh, bright uh, orange, amber, um, handsome boy opposite the page. Yeah. To what extent um, did censorship 21st century censorship spur you on in the some of the pieces that you chose and that you wanted to get out there? Uh, it was one of my key uh, ideas for this book. I really felt quite strongly that not only are we kind of seeing a pushback against, um, you know, a sort of moral panic around uh, queer identities uh, in the 21st century, uh, but also, uh, you know, what I see is sometimes a, a bit of Puritanism uh, flowing around the culture. Uh, and I wanted this book to be, you know, sometimes messy, sometimes exuberant. And it didn't want to censor any of the kind of more difficult aspects of the ancient world either. So some of these texts, uh, including some epigrams by Marshall, for example, have a history of just being uh taken out mm. of of modern editions uh, as if they're too obscene or you know uh, contrarian uh, so i wanted to put those back in um you know i think at a time when uh, libraries uh, in in the us and and even here in ireland are sometimes under pressure um not to include uh, queer content uh, and and uh, there's a, a sort of push for censorship that i wanted uh, to kind of joyously and exuberantly put it all in one place. Uh, so there was a bit of defiance there, I think. You have some spells in here, or certainly you have one spell in the midst of all of this <laughs> as well. You might explain what Sophia's spell is and read it for us. You're going to just give us the opening section of it, in fact, I think. Yeah, I, I'll read you a little bit. Um, so Sophia's spell is... Um, uh, well, exactly what it says on the tin. It's um, a magic spell, a binding spell, uh, found in 
in Egypt on papyrus. Uh, it's from about the third or fourth century AD. Um, it's written um, from one woman to another, and she is calling on the gods of the underworld uh, to inflame the liver uh, of this woman, uh, Gorgonia, who she wants to fall in love with her. So it's kind of a, a, a magic spell for love, mm. uh, but it's quite violent and and. Uh, domineering in its tone. Uh, I just love this one. Uh, it's full of kind of invented magical language and things like that. But I'll just read the first um, the first couple of lines, which are an invocation of the dog, uh, the, the god uh, Cerberus. Beneath the firmament, firmament in the tar black dark, O vicious toothed Cerberus coiled in snakes, your three heads are turning. O traveler in the uncharted territories of the afterworld, Come, come with the furies, those savage women with their stinging whips, with their serpent hair. Rise up as I summon you. Before I use this incantation to force and persuade you, turn out a fire-breathing demon. Listen to me and act quickly. You are the governors of the earth. And then yeah. it kind of goes on into <laughs> like this ridiculously over-the-top yeah. um, X language to, to try and force this. this Absolutely, yeah. I'm not sure that I want I want Sophia's spell anywhere near me. It sounds no. just a little bit on the violent side of things. So yes. maybe maybe we we could finish up and 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 but it does give us a sense of the the kind of the the breadth of material that you've managed to put in here Sean maybe we'd finish up with something a little bit more gentle than than yes, Sophia's spell yeah. this is um a, a, a greek the greek lyric poet is anacreon is that how we say that name that's right yeah 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 so this is just a small fragment which is the very last in the book uh for for context anacreon um is a male poet, uh, but you can see him here in his older age, longing after a young woman uh, who in turn is uh, ignoring him because she's in love with another woman. Once again, tossing a shining ball to me, Eros has beckoned me to play with a slender girl in bright sandals. But she, well made in Lesbos, turns her face from me, my graying hair, and stares instead at another girl, her lips apart in wonder. Sean Hewitt there reading Anacreon Fragment 358, the final poem in his new anthology, 300,000 Kisses, Tales of Queer Love from the Ancient World, Sean Hewitt, and illustrations by Luke Edward Hall. It's all published by Penguin. Now, since 2000, ah, since 2021, RTE and the Creative Ireland programme has run a nationwide art competition throughout the island entitled This Is Art. The competition asks young people of all ages up to the age of 18 years old to sculpt, paint, tape or draw in response to a prompt. In 2021, the theme was This Is Now, which invited our young artists to respond creatively to lockdown. At the beginning of 2022, with a return to normality on the horizon, the theme was this is extraordinary. And this year, 2023, the theme was This is Inspiration, reflecting the hope that the talent and creativity of our young people could run wild. And indeed it did. The competition has seen 15,000 submissions in its time. And for the first time ever, a selection of their art has been gathered in a special exhibition at the RHA Gallery in Dublin. Reporter Nicky Coughlin went along to the opening last Thursday to meet the young artists, discuss their work and ask what art means to them and the world. 
My name is Theodore and I am 11. My stone started in 2020 when the pandemic happened. It was just gloomy, isolated, it wasn't a good time. So I looked at a pile of stones on the ground and I thought that would be a great way to paint nice messages. I placed them in places called hidey holes. Then when people find them in active areas like parks and streets, it makes their day. It feels amazing to be at the Horace in truth. It's just like all the winners here. I see mine over there. It's not just canvas art. It's just kind of like anything can be a canvas. I don't think I've never been in an art gallery, but here we are. My name is Jasmine and I'm nine years old. The name of my artwork is Proudly African, Proudly Irish. My name is Maymuna and I'm seven years old. My painting is called Pump the Skunk. I don't really come to art galleries that much, so it's really cool to arrive at one of the artists. My name is Patrick Murphy and I'm the director of the Royal Liberian Academy of the Arts here in Dublin too. This year the academy is 200 years old and we're looking to the next generation because some of the work here is of such a quality that I have no doubt that in 20 years or 30 years one or two of these artists are going to be elected to the Royal Liberian Academy as a full member. My name's Ashling. I'm 16 years old and I entered This Is Art. The name of my piece is Soul's Growth. The theme was extraordinary and I thought that the way a person's soul develops over time is really extraordinary. I think creativity is just so human and it can never be recreated by like a robot or AI and AI is everywhere now but I think creativity is just so human and so unique and I love it, yeah. Hi, my name is Tag and I'm 11 years old. We saw like the Instagram page and we thought that it was a really, really awesome competition and we loved all of the artworks on it. Art draws people a lot more in. The pouches that I'm wearing on my hip right now is actually filled with art supplies and I paint wherever I go. My name is Odessa Yip and I'm 17 years old. My art piece is called The Sun and His Plants. It's kind of like a collage with a lot of images that I took on a film camera. I actually inherited the camera from my dad and that camera was his dad's, so it's been around for a long time. I've never ever like entered into an art competition before really, but I really like it. I like being able to see everybody else's artwork, putting together a piece that communicates what they want to communicate. I mean, I installed the exhibition, so I've seen every piece. Right seen this incredible draftsmanship, complex painting. And I think these kids, whether they're between 8 or 7, 16 or 17, what you're seeing is a real thoughtfulness about what they're making things about, I think. I am Ollie. My art work is rainbow. Make a rainbow on dice head, because I love to. My name's Lily, and I'm Molly's sister. I think Molly's artwork was really colourful and creative. My name is Brendan Gallagher, and I'm Molly and Lily's dad. This was supposed to be a face paint being done on me, and I was supposed to end up as some sort of a rainbow face. In the end, the face painting got extended up over my bald head and almost back to my neck. For us, it's great. It's wonderful because for them to be able to come to the RHA Gallery, one of the most splendid galleries we have in Ireland, to see one of Molly's works being exhibited is a real thrill for us, particularly because Molly has Down syndrome and her art is very much art from the heart. I love you, Dad. 
My name is Milena. My art piece is about my little sister. She has autism and she always felt a little bit left out, so I did a portrait of her with all of her favorite things. And then my art teacher really liked it and she really insisted on me sending it to This Is Art, so I did. I was 17 when I did the artwork and I'm 20 now and now I'm in art college. I think everybody is a bit creative in their own way already, but it's just a way of expressing it, and that's the hard part. When you have an idea or you have something that you want to express, it's just a matter of finding out what way you are able to express it. I love painting because it's really like fun and swishy with the paintbrush. Lots of different things don't help me express the way I feel like art does. Some people find the way they dress or writing to help express how they feel, but for me it's drawing and its colours and its shape and its form and all that. It's a good way to get away from phones and screens. Let's just say you're going through a tough time, you can use art to express your feelings. If your life felt bad, you would just draw. I get out my art satisfaction and happiness. I think you need more artists because the world wouldn't be as fun otherwise. Being an artist is a job for happiness and connecting. It's great, it's so much fun and I just, I just love it so much. I would much rather be an artist than an accountant. Yeah, I'm sure I'll do art for the rest of my life, I'm sure I will. I love making art because it makes me feel happy. Uh, I think that art is just, for me, calming. It draws people together. Uh, art is fun. Art is wonderful. Art is the future. Is that too pretentious? Art is human. Let's stick with human. Yeah. Art is great. Art is for everyone. Art is where you can just pick up pencil and draw anything with your imagination. Art is inspirational. There's no right answer for art. Art is anything you want it to be. Art is an abiding curiosity about what art is. We need more creativity because, like the theme for this year, it's inspiration. It's what makes, I believe, the world go around. People get inspired to rise up from a bad situation in their lives because of art, whether that be a painting, a piece of writing, anything. It changes how the world works. Some wonderful answers to the question there. What is art? Wish I'd come up with some of the answers myself. That report from Nikki Coughlin, who went to the RHA Gallery in Dublin last Thursday for the opening of the 2023 This Is Art exhibition. Exhibition is free of charge. It will run at the Royal Hibernian Academy of Arts on Eli Place in Dublin 2 through until Sunday, October 29th. Dustin O'Halloran is an American composer with an extensive range of work across television, film and his and has his own solo career as well. In 2016, he was nominated for an Oscar for his score for the film Lion, picked up an Emmy Award for the main title theme to Amazon's comedy drama Transparent and last year provided the music for the Apple TV Plus drama The, Excess, the Essex Serpent starring Clara Danes and Tom Hiddleston. Dustin's most recent album came out in 2021. It's called Silver 
released on the renowned classical music label Deutsche Grammophon. And next Monday, October the 16th, he will bring music from that album and from his extensive career to Liberty Hall in Dublin as part of the Between the Notes concert series, which is run by the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary. I will speak to Dustin in a few moments' time. First of all, let's have a sample of uh, one of the tracks from his latest album, Silver. This is called Opus 28. section there of Opus 28 one of the tracks on Dustin O'Halloran's album Silver and Delighted that Dustin joins me now from his home in Iceland in fact. Uh, did that title Silver, um, maybe explain that to us, is it is it an Icelandic world or what exactly does it mean Dustin? Uh, hello <laughs> uh, yes so Silver is, uh, it comes from an Icelandic word Silverberg which is a native crystal that is found here in Iceland. And the reason I kind of was drawn to it was because it has this special quality that it reflects light in two perspectives. And I thought that was kind of an interesting analogy for looking back on the last record was sort of a look back on work mm. that I'd done in the past and reimagining it with the time that had gone by and re-recording some of these pieces. So. It was also supposed to be used for uh, navigation by the Vikings. So ah. that's where the name comes from. So the, the Opus 28 that we were just looking for, I suppose, uh, you mean you are a prolific composer. So Opus 28, was that early enough on in the compositional career? And when you revisit a piece like that, as you did for the album, what what kind of way did you start to rethink around even the instrumentation that we heard there? Uh, the original version was just solo piano, and this was an arrangement with strings that I'd kind of been working on over the years, and I had never really recorded it properly. So that was uh, one of the sort of re- reimagines. But I, I think the thing that's interesting with music, and if you go back and record it, is what time does to you and what time does to the music, and if you still connect with it in the same way you connect with it in a different way so i think that was um that was an interesting thing to do i hadn't really planned to re-record these pieces so Mm. it was a a journey and when you put the strings in i mean because for me when those strings arrive in that the piece takes a a fundamental twist it's fundamental turn when you put those strings in uh, in the in the revisiting of opus 28 how did the piece change in your mind uh, well, I guess it becomes more colorful and more dynamic. And, you know, I try to not any, not add something unless I feel that it can mm. really become a part of the piece. So there's some pieces that remain on uh, the record that remain solo piano because I didn't feel that any embellishment was going to add to it. But sometimes it, it brings a new, it, you know, it brings something different and new. And, and that 
maybe makes it more interesting for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's interesting that you say that. Um, in, in fact, I'll, I'll come back to I'll come back to one of the pieces that remained totally as piano in in a, in a second's time. But let's talk about the difference between when, when you're composing something where it's kind of in free time, if you like, it can be three minutes, four yeah. minutes, or. 23 or 24 or an hour and 23 or an hour and 24 if you want it when you're composing for television and film you're on a different you're on a different um, time scale there the, yeah. uh, uh, talk to me a bit about that you know the kind of challenges of as you I say uh, uh, as we listen to the Essex Serpent uh, main title at the moment 50 seconds like the the type of <laughs> the type of economy that is demanded of you when you're told we want a 50 second piece or we want it to be a minute and 13 that yeah. that must be challenging yeah you know music isn't really meant to be boxed in the way it is for film uh, the, the best the best scenario would be if you're working on music before and then they're editing to your music. So you're really writing in an open space and mm. free to sort of expand the time how you want and then let them cut to it. Uh, and then, but a lot of times you have to sort of work on music and then ha- and then fit it into the picture, which is, which is challenging. Um, I try to, usually try to work without the pic. I watch the film if I have it or read the script. And then I just go and write music and try to just make that the first thing is just mm. being being with the music and then worrying about fitting things in later and seeing how because I feel like that's that's where the magic yeah happens so you, 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 just, you do the composing and come back afterwards and say all right I like that piece but it has to be X amount of seconds long or it has to it mm-hmm. has to repeat whatever number of times and therefore you play. You, you you craft the piece of composition that you've composed freely. Let's have a listen to uh, the Essex Serpent main title. Okay. And there we have the music of Dustin O'Halloran, the Essex Serpent main title. I have to say, uh, Dustin, what you managed to achieve in 50 seconds, I mean... Even without knowing anything of the story of the film, <laughs> I'm going. Oh, this this is this is not a safe place to be. This is an yeah. eerie an eerie spot. So I presume that's yeah. what you, you react to the script and try to reflect that in the music. It, yeah, I, I think you know the difference between writing for yourself and writing for film is there's a blank slate when you're writing for yourself. There's nothing there, and you're mm. really starting from nothing, and and that's sort of the magic that we have to conjure up something from nothing and it's your experiences your perspective and with a film you have a very defined mm. you have a story you have an arc you have there's you have picture you have the actors so there's so much uh, material yeah. to to work from and you also have to give space to that uh because there's it there's more than just the music there's the the acting the sound effects the picture it, so it's about finding how to maneuver around all of these things and still uh, and give mm. give it what it what it needs. But it's uh, yeah, it's a really different process. Very different, I would have imagined. Um, and and we get a sense from listening to the 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 Essex Serpent main title and indeed from the Opus Twenty Eight that we heard earlier on a sense of minimalism, certainly in the style of music that you composed. But I was very interested in your Opus 21. Let's have a listen to that and see if you think minimalism when you hear this.
Now, I just wanted to get a little flavour of Dustin O'Halloran's <laughs> Opus 21 because I uh, quite definitely, Dustin O'Halloran, um, you are a fan of the Nocturne. You are a fan of Frederick Chopin. You are a fan <laughs> of John Field, which will endear you was, to many people in this country. The Nocturne, <laughs> important to you? Well, I love him. And that's an older piece, mm. you know, being, uh, being young and romantic and melancholy. Oh, so you, have you lost your romance? Have you lost your melancholic nature? That was a that was your moody your moody twenties, Dustin O'Halloran, was it? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, I think as the, as as I the more I write music and and I think as I get older, it's it's more about the space and it's more about what is not being said that's important and and how can, what what can I use? What's the minimal amount of material that I can use to to express something because I feel that that just gives so much space for, I think we're in such a dense period of time where we're constantly Mm. bombarded with information. And I feel that the more space there is for the listener there, it's a, I don't know, it feels good. So I, I feel that just kind of carving, carving back to, to the essentials. And I guess that's what you'll be doing uh, next Monday when you're playing the Liberty Hall is leaving space for the listener to relax right <laughs> back and, and enjoy the spaciousness of the music rather yeah. than you know, put your phones away and sit back yeah. and enjoy it. Uh, we might finish up with a little bit of um, Lose My Way, which is this is a song with uh, Anna Brun, a regular, uh, certainly somebody we featured on the programme regularly here. Uh, what is the joy of writing with a singer or, or working with a singer as opposed to purely instrumental work? Uh, well, I, I came from my early years. I had a band called Devix with uh, singer Sarah Love, and those were really my formative years. I didn't do conservatory or, or mm. go to music school. So I come from, I come from a, a history of songwriting and playing in bands and, and touring. So that's always in my DNA. Mm. And uh, Anna and I met in Berlin. And I, I'm just, I'm such a huge fan of her voice. She just creates magic. And um, we wrote this song in one night in Berlin. Well, there you go. Let's finish yeah. up. By it. It's lovely to speak with you this evening, Dustin. And we finish up with Anna Brun and Lose My Way. Thanks for having me. My Way song there, the voice of Anna Brun and the piano playing, I'm guessing, of Dustin O'Halloran, certainly he that uh, arranged and composed the work with Anna Brun. Dustin O'Halloran, American composer, will be, his album, his new album is called Silverwell's 2021 album. He will be performing at Liberty Hall Theatre in Dublin this day week, Monday, October the 16th. The show will be presented by the Pavilion Theatre. Full details on paviliontheatre.ie, but it's in the Liberty Hall, presented by the Pavilion Theatre. That is our lot for this Monday evening. Leah Murphy and Paul the Shields research. The broadcast coordinator was Ollie Hamilton. James Feeney was on sound this evening and tonight's programme was produced by Ola McGowan. Talk to you tomorrow night once again, 7 o'clock here on RT Radio 1. John Creedon will be with you after the news.